Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, almost warping online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Lincoln Kia Hyundai, great new inventory, fabulous pre owned inventory. With great deals to be had at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. The great Tony Knopp in a moment, but first, (laughs) on a night where there was no sports, this is the only play-by-play cut we have. Gee, Matt. more to win it as Alonzo comes out of the timeout. And walks it off. What a finish. Alonzo defends his title. The 2021 Derby champion put the belt on again. What a show. That ranks right up there with an overtime Stanley Cup goal. All right. Uh, fabulous. <laughs> you are such a hater. That's just... Look, I know it's supposed to be a fun contest. I got it, but I just have no interest in what I don't watch. I don't watch. I don't watch skills competitions anymore. He had thirty-five homers in the first round. Okay, in the bottom of the ninth inning, at City Field, he hits one out to win it. Now I'm impressed by that. <laughs> I am too, but I'm also impressed by that. Let me put it to you this way. Let's be realistic. How close do you think any of those baseballs got to a humidor last night? Probably not many. Yeah, how about none? All right. <laughs> the great Tony Knopp joins us, sir. Always a pleasure. Great to have you back. I appreciate it. Always good to chat. All right, so here we are. We are now to the threshold of the Olympics. Uh, there'll be one. There'll be one. There'll be one American attending. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Jill Biden. But that's it. <laughs> that's it. Nobody else going. Eight billion dollars right down the drain. Uh, they get what seventy to seventy-five percent of the revenue the IOC does from broadcast rights. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, they make all the money. Tokyo's Olympic Committee in Tokyo, the country, are the ones who are stuck holding the bag. It's a, it's an unpleasant time. And, and the fact that it rolls right into Beijing the next year is just, I mean, a perfect storm. It's a really awful situation for them. What are the odds Beijing has no fans? <laughs> At this rate, I don't know. Um, and, and, you know, the, the bigger problem they're going to have is, you know, whether they get control of, you know, COVID or not, you're still going to have the human rights issues. It's going to be... I mean, I, I can only imagine the kind of propaganda we're going to see from the Chinese Nationalist Party while the Olympics are going on around the country, around the world. People are pointing out the human rights just egregiousness that's happening there. Um, it, it's going to be something that we've never seen before. I mean, the activism is going to be incredible. I'm, I'm very 
curious to see how this. Uh, I'm very curious to see how this is going to play out. It's going to be very think- like for sponsors. I can't even imagine how they're going to tightrope walk their way through the Beijing Olympic Games. Which I'll bring this part up from a propaganda point of view. Tokyo will have no fans. Beijing, I'm telling Tony, they'll find people. They'll have they everything oh, yeah. you filled up <laughs> to show to show the world that they've got everything <laughs> under control. Oh, 100 percent. You know, there's that old story of when the WCW wrestlers went to North Korea and there was 120,000 people in attendance and nobody knew what they were watching. Yeah, nobody paid for those tickets. That's the same thing that's going to happen here. We got to make sure this looks good. That uh, there will definitely be people in the seats. Uh, will they be rowdy people? Uh, that remains to be seen. Brisbane's going to get the Olympics in 2032. Essentially, they didn't bid against anybody. Beijing, essentially, they only bid against Kazakhstan. Yeah. Is there any concern about the fact that there's no the the bidding process is to the point where nobody's bidding? Yeah, I mean, all these businesses go through evolutions, and the pendulum swings both directions. And so this isn't the first time that this has happened. Um, This happened in the mid-'70s when they were bidding on the 80s Olympics. Yes. And the Olympics were in the exact same situation. And then Peter Ubaroth, and uh, I know you guys were just talking about the home run derby in baseball, but Ubaroth showed up and and changed the way the Olympics made money, right? He found a way to make it a profitable game. Uh, and Los Angeles introduced sponsorship and a lot of capitalism into the games, and it kind of changed the Olympic Games for the next 20 years. And we've gone a little bit too far in that direction for the IOC. Um, they're definitely wetting their beaks a little bit more than they probably should. And I think we will look back on the era of, you know, the Beijing Games twice in a 15-year period and the Qatar World Cup and, you know, just these nonsensical awards and we'll laugh at them in 20 to 30 years as it, as it morphs and evolves. There's too much money involved for it to continue this direction. It'll eventually correct. But, yeah, right now you're in a position where if you're a municipality uh, or a country, why would you want to be on them, it's, especially with what you just saw happen to, to Tokyo? And, look, Tokyo is, is the worst possible scenario, but uh, Brazil didn't exactly make out positive either when they hosted no. in Rio. So, you know, it, it, you have to assume that, like everything else, there's going to be some form of correction. Um, who knows who the next PDU Roth's going to be? Well, people forget that in 1976, the Winter Olympics were going to be in Denver. And uh-huh. the voters of Denver said, finally, after they'd won it, said no. And that's why said Innsbruck no. ended up. You know, uh, that's where the Olympic it movement it, it was. It happened again with Boston. Boston was the yep. finalist, and they said no. The, yep. the voters so, came out and said, we don't want it. Yeah, we don't want it. All right. I want to bring up something that you brought up at the end of our conversation the last time just to let you know I was listening (laughs) you said that often you you reference European soccer and I know you you said that you wanted to tell the audience that but I want to reference European soccer in this, this realm it's been around much longer than the sports leagues we have in this country you reference the Premier League and you reference Italian soccer. What lessons? Okay, history is the greatest teacher. What lessons should pro leagues in this country learn from Italian soccer and from Premier League soccer on the pros and cons? It's there's a great book on 
the Premier League, how it was created, and and where they where they've been so successful. Because if you look at before you, a lot of people who don't follow soccer, and I don't blame them. A lot of people don't follow soccer, uh, don't realize that the Premier League didn't show up until the mid '90s. Um, before that, you know, the, the, it wasn't about the winning in Europe was important, but the trophies were different. The Premier League trophy wasn't the one that everybody was trying to win. The Premier League showed up at that point. They created a Super League, so to speak, which is which are the things that are being talked about in college football. So when we talk about you know what we're going to learn from history in Europe, you can really tie it all to what's happened there. So and the book is called The Club, but um, if you look at what had happened out there, you had leagues that were relatively close that played together in a postseason uh and that postseason was you know the UEFA Champions League which prior to the UEFA Champions League they had other trophies that they rewarded and you've seen what happens when you had super clubs kind of take over their own conferences and then those conferences are almost relegated to be secondary to the national interest and so you can see there where we're headed with college sports right Right now, we look at the Premier League as being this super powerful league, and the Bundesliga as being a powerful league, and La Liga, which is you know uh, the Spanish league, which is generally top heavy. There's only two or three teams that really compete on the international level, and Syria is the same thing, where there's just you know rampant corruption, and there's a couple of teams that can compete. That's a roadmap for what could possibly happen in the United States when it comes to um, college football, because. That's what we've seen. You know, as one league got stronger, more players want to go play there. And, you know, a lot of players just get bought and sold out of the smaller leagues to go play in the bigger leagues. And so you could say that the SEC and the Big Ten are, you know, ultra-dominant. The ACC, the Pac-12, and those others are just hoping to have one or two or three teams participate. And all the money then rolls into the CFP like it does into UEFA uh, in Europe. You also see the labor rights initiatives that have been happening over there. And you talk about, you know, how... You know, a league can compete against another league without controls, and it can cause economic chaos, right? People get, you know, a little bit blown away by how much money people make in contracts in North America, but when you compare them to what they're paying for Cristiano Ronaldo (laughs) or Lionel Messi, it's it's peanuts, right? These guys are making more money than anybody. And, you know, we were talking about it this last weekend over uh, at the UFC fight as well, when you have labor unions that have been introduced in some of the professional leagues there and how that changes how people are being made. So history repeats itself um, regularly. You and I know a lot about it because we study it, but a lot of these leagues don't. And so, you know, though it does seem like it's a little uh, maybe off the cuff to reference, you know, Premier League soccer when we're talking about SEC football, the parallels are incredible. Right in, into what happened there. And if we're not careful, that's what's going to happen. You're going to be in a situation where teams that were once competitive historically aren't. You know, if you go to um, England and you talk about Nottingham Forest, that is a right. club that is deep in tradition that hasn't competed in 30 years. Right. And they can't compete, right? They, they got close to making it into the Premier League two years ago, but they're nowhere near competing on an international level. And this is a team that won Europe multiple times. And are we going to go to a situation where Penn State, Alabama, you know, Michigan, Ohio State are competitive and Indiana never has a chance? Uh, Purdue never has a chance. I mean, Indiana's probably not the best example, but Purdue never has a chance to go to the Rose Bowl. Or, you know, Iowa or teams that, you know, we would consider to be strong teams that eventually just can't compete on a, on a national level. That's a concerning point about when you see that. College basketball, the NCAA tournament, 19% of the teams make the tournament. 
68 out of 357 from all corners of the Continental 48. Right. 34 of those are at bid, are at are at large. So it's really 30, like like 30 to 36 teams that get a shot that wouldn't otherwise. College football's 3%. Yeah. <laughs> by go by going to twelve, it would get it to nine percent. Can going to twelve create at minimum the mirage to then prevent what we just talked about in soccer? What they did in soccer for the listeners who don't follow what's happened there is they said we need to create automatic bids from leagues and then we need to stack the leagues based on how competitive they are so at the end of every season you get invited to the UEFA Champions League which is the you know European league for clubs that compete against each other and the Premier League for example gets four teams while the Dutch League gets one while right. the Greek League kind of gets one they get to play in a playing game right Right. and yep. that sounds fair sounds fairish, right? Like, okay, USF or UCF, you want to play? Like, you've got to go beat, um, you know, the other non-Power 5, Boise State, and the winner gets to go play Alabama in whatever bowl's next. Um, the problem with that is now it's become so lopsided that even those clubs are starting to talk about creating a Super League, which we saw a couple of months ago, and, you know, they got they gave up pretty quickly and ended up giving up the idea, but that won't be the last time we see that, because there's just too much money involved. So, Yes, the the 12 teams is actually creating some hope that you're going to be able to play on that national level. But as NIL takes over, as players can now make money on their likeness, as players now know that, you know, if there's a 12-team playoff, if you go to a team that makes the playoff, it's no longer the way it used to be where you'll have 12 games in Indiana and possibly a bowl game, so you play 13. Well, if I go to Penn State, I've got 12 games, and then I could possibly play three or four more. So that's a lot more exposure. It's more of an ability to sell my brand. It's more national exposure. Um, you know, the the town is a lot more tied to the team, so there's going to be a lot more sponsors willing to pay. It's going to create it's going to create a competitive imbalance, and it's coming, and it's fine, right? That's, that's how it's going to work. Which you we talk about competitive imbalance. There are obviously young people that are attracted to. Hey, look, if I go to Alabama, my pathway is going to be faster. I'm playing for national championships. Clemson, my pathway might be faster. Can spreading the wealth happen a little bit more because there would be more possibilities to be in the playoff to then, as you say, expand the brand? Maybe, but if you look at what's happening with the transfer portal, it's become European soccer, right? Oh, even if yeah. you do go to, you know, if, even if you do go to North Carolina State and you're pretty good for four years, what do you do in your fifth year? You transfer to Wisconsin and you take the team to the Rose Bowl. Then you get picked right. in the third round of the NFL draft, and then you win a Super Bowl, right? Right. And that's what's happened over there. I mean, I keep belaboring the point, and, and some might roll their eyes and say these have nothing to do with each other, but that's exactly what happens. You know, two years ago, sure. one of the most exciting teams was Red Bull's team because it was a bunch of young kids that they had grown themselves, and eventually they get to a point where they're not competitive, and those kids get sold off. And one of them plays in Germany now. Another one plays in the, in, uh, the Premier League. And as you're creating this NIL rights, there's just going to be more stories about Baker Mayfield. There's going to be more stories about Russell Wilson. There's going to be more stories about um, Gardner Minshew, right? These players that they play somewhere for two or three years, and it's almost like a clearinghouse 
before you get to go play for the big stakes at the big school and then make your way to the NFL. So it's, it, there, there's a lot of parallels between what happened there and what's happening here. And the difference being the international body for soccer has a lot more power in Europe than the college football playoff has power here. Like in the end, if, if the Big Ten wanted to pull out or if, you know, the SEC wanted to create their own bowl game with one another, they could theoretically do this, right? They right. have that much power compared to the other conferences. Um, so who knows? You and I aren't going to solve it, but it's certainly interesting to watch. No, no, it's interesting to watch, but it's also <laughs> fun, fun to talk about it. Tony, yeah. I've, got to ask yeah. you about, I've got to ask you about the NBA uh, ratings. I give oh the goodness. PR department. I give disaster. the PR department of the NBA all the credit in the world. They're doing exactly <laughs> what you and I talked about a month ago. They would do. They would compare everything to September, October, twenty twenty. Yep. So we all know this is the second lowest rating ever for a final. Ever nine point three million people. Nine point three million. That's. I mean, that's incredible. So now I want to bring up this because let's go big picture now. The NBA is garnering $2.6 billion a year between their contracts with ESPN and TNT. 1.4 ESPN, yep. 1.2 TNT. Like any entity, they want more in their next negotiation. What has 20 and 21 done anything, if, if at all, to their ambition of getting more money in their next TV contract? I think they're going to get more. Here's why. Um, and here it's, it's, you know, I was actually met with a number of RSNs yesterday and had this conversation. Um, we are moving towards an era of debundling, of debundling and direct consumer. Um, and what that means is right now, if you want to get your Bucks games, you have to sign up for Time Warner Spectrum or whoever's at the, there, right? It's, that's how it works out here in Los Angeles. If you want to watch the Dodgers, you have to sign up for Spectrum if you want. And you're signing up for 10 other channels. Right. Um, so there's a there's a big company called Sinclair who has bought a number yep. of the regional sports networks and they just put a bid in for 16 more that they're going to buy from NBC Universal, and their intent is to create direct to consumer channels that you can get a la carte. So like if you want to have, you know, the Big Ten Network, you can just pay five dollars a month and have it. You don't have to have a cable cable carrier anymore. Um, we're seeing that that's the power of live, uh, especially with the next generation coming up who has almost no affinity to live television outside of sports. They watch concert and sports, and that's it. They don't watch any television shows. They binge watch them when they come out on whatever streaming service there is. So selling them advertising is near impossible. Um, and so that's why you see these networks, and even Apple, you know, the news yesterday came out that Apple looks like they are going to try to bid on the Sunday ticket, which makes total sense. Right. Um, right. Looking at this as a differentiated way to have live entertainment that you can monetize, because the days of signing a giant contract so you can you can you know run your ads during friends on a thursday night which was the number one show drawing 26 million people are quickly growing to an end and if you look at the key demographic of 18 to 34 it's it's over but what that demographic is doing is betting on sports right then we know that's what they're doing and so i do think that despite the fact that the ratings are not where they need to be um and it's an and it's a you know, it's an outlier of a year, right? You've got two teams that were, you know, historically not very good. Um, they haven't been good for a while, but it still makes sense for them to bid on those deals. And it's going to continue to go up because it's a differentiated way for advertisers to reach consumers that are much more difficult to reach now. 
Well, as you pointed out, Bally's has mm-hmm. its name all over networks now. Yeah, right. because they're going DDC, and they want to—they want you to watch the game for five dollars a month, and they want you to bet on it, and they get a—they get a rip off the vig there, and they know what they're doing. And you know, I was talking to—I um, think we said this last time—I was talking to one of my friends who runs one of the largest casinos, uh, casino providers in the world, uh, one of the top three, and he was on a panel and got in some trouble because they asked him about sports betting, and he laughed and he said, "We're still in the first inning of sports betting." <laughs> and they said, why is that? And he, he was on a panel with DraftKings and FanDuel, and they were talking about how much money they pull. He's like, let me, let me make something clear. Our sports betting department makes less than our keynote department does. Hmm. So that's going to change as we go forward, but we're not there yet. Wow. Wow. So the, the, thing, he said, okay. the thing he said to me which blew my mind the most was we were talking about the T-Mobile Arena. And right. I said, uh, you know, the last normal year you guys had, we were we were in a casino in Vegas out there last weekend for the UFC fight. And uh, and I told this story before. He he said, you know, yeah, Team Arena did pretty well. I said, I read you guys did $60 million in net profit in a year on it. He said, yeah, that's nice. That roulette table does a million dollars a month. Oh. So <laughs> they're looking for the rights because they're trying to drive that. They're trying to drive that behavior. Right. That's where the real dollars are. Advertising and gambling. Hey, get your backside to Madison, all right? <laughs> That's the opening. I really want to get out I, there. I do. I, yes. I, 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 I'm, pushing you. I'm pushing you. Okay? I, I've never been, and I hear it's an incredible experience. Oh. I hear it's one of the top experiences in the country that they love the Badgers there. And that I think I read that they have the highest attendance of sports across all sports of any university in the country. Oh, because they sell out all the basketball and their hockey yeah. draws. They sell everything so they, out. Like women's volleyball yeah. sold out, from what I read. Yeah, like well, they have the well, highest attendance yes. of, of anybody. Women's volleyball sells out. I think the arena is like ten thousand. I used to they used to play basketball there. Cole Center seventeen thousand sold out for basketball. Camp Randall is I think ninety now. Yeah, maybe it's, I mean, maybe that's, it's in the eighties. Extraordinary numbers. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I'm going to keep great. pushing. I'd like, you've got to, I'm I'd going like to keep to get pushing. Out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot of live events now. I've been to a lot of them. So I did the fight last weekend. I'm trying to get some more. It's time to get back to normal life, the fun stuff. Yeah, it's time, it's, yeah, it's, it's also time to see you. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing this all for selfish reasons, Tony. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. What a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. The great insight, as always. All right. We'll talk very soon. Be well. You too. Tony Knopp. It's uh, been another good day today. Um, uh, because, I mean, let's start with this. I wasn't in the staff meeting today, so it's already been a good day. Get the lingerie oh. on the deck. Call the janitor. <laughs> you, you, get the, you get the feeling that if the suit ever gets pulled over, he looks over and says... Don't you know who I am? And the officer looks over and says, Yes, that's why we pulled you over. (laughs) All right. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070 WKOK.
taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Lincoln Kia Hyundai. Great new inventory. Best in pre-owned inventory. All at the Sunbury Motors guarantee. This is all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. All right. It's National French Friday, by the way. Did you know that? I did see that, yes. So I'm going to go out with a couple of friends tonight. And it's a place that has table of fries. So what the heck? Why not? A little fun with it. We'll tell some suit stories. A lot of people. A lot of people will gather around. <laughs> What's your go-to fry? Are you a curly fry guy? Crinkle, plain? <laughs> plain. I don't really think too much about it. <laughs> with a waffle really fry? Think, nah, I don't think too much about it. I mean, they, they, you know, they have like ranch fries and bay. You know, of course, you know, if you, of course, Maryland, it's like bay everything. I Although mean, that's the best because that's the Philly staple too, with chickies and peach, the crab fries. Yeah, that's where it's at. I mean, I've had you know variety. It's all good. I try not to have too many of them. How about that? That's one I don't. Uh, I try not to do too many of them. Of course, <laughs> could be. Gonna be smart about it, but yeah, yeah, we got that coming up tonight. Um, of course, the All Star Games tonight. I want to say something about Shohei Otani for a moment. Of course, we know about the comments that Stephen A. Smith made, right? Um, about him being the face of the. Sp- I'll paraphrase about being the face of the sport. How can you be the, essentially the face of the sport if you know you need an interpreter? And it's like Otani can speak English, and he's well spoken in English. But when it comes to answering questions, I don't blame somebody if they want to have an interpreter so they get it right in in the language they're most comfortable in. Look, aren't we past stuff like this? We're watching somebody do something. It's compared to Babe Ruth, but Ruth, when he was with the Red Sox, pitched and then started playing the field more and more and more as time went. When he went to the Yankees, Ruth didn't pitch that often. We're seeing Otani do this and take his turn in the rotation every fifth day, uh, which is just it's, it's better than, than what Ruth did. In terms of the everyday part. Now, remember, Ruth, the difference with Ruth that nobody can match, and Otani can't do it yet, is as follows. Um, Ruth, for a period of, 
30-something years. I'm talking about 30-something years. Held the postseason record for most home runs, 15, which finally Mantle broke. And also, that's most World Series home runs. And most consecutive innings pitched, scoreless. Nobody's going to do that. Otani's not even going to do that. I mean, uh, Otani's not going to hit 15 World Series home runs. Who knows if Otani's going to sit there and go and and play um, how many World Series he could even get to? One, two, three, even to postseason. But the what he's doing right now is just phenomenal to do this every fifth day. Now, I'll, I'll give you Ruth. Ruth postseason batting. Uh, I was correct. 15 home runs in the World Series, drove in 33. And Ruth had a 326 World Series batting average. Now, when he was with the Red Sox, and he was in the World Series, he was in the World Series three times with the Red Sox. The one all three times, right? I mean, Ruth won seven world titles in his career. Seven? Yeah, won seven world titles in his career. Three of them were with the Red Sox. When he was with the Red Sox, just to let you know about him hitting, he only had 12 plate appearances because he was a pitcher. Now, as for the pitching part of it, when Ruth was with the Red Sox. Okay, just to let you know, when Ruth was with the Red Sox, I mentioned he won 94 games in his career, right? So he was 94 and 46 with a 2.28 ERA. But, but, you can't compare what he did with the Yankees for this reason. Ruth only made five starts, or excuse me, appeared in five games, he made four starts with the Yankees in his entire Yankee career. He was 5-0 and in those games. And he had three complete games. But that's... I mean, that's it. That's all he did. So essentially, he pitched 10 years, but in four of those years, he only made a total of five appearances. He only pitched... 31 innings. That's it. Okay? So you can't compare the two. Now, when it comes to, let's see, mention his postseason batting. In his career with the Red Sox, this is where you got to combine the two, all right? With the Yankees, he played 2,084 games. He hit 659 home runs. With the Red Sox, he had 339 games that he played in. He had 49 home runs. He drove in 224. So in six years, he played 391 games. So 
And what's six into thirty-nine? So it's what an average of what sixty-eight games a year. That makes sense. That make that makes sense to you? Yep. That's sixty-eight games a year. So you're talking about sixty-eight games a year. Otani's on a pace where he's going to be over a hundred this year, obviously. But Ruth, and so that's where the majority was. He only pitched five games for the Yankees. That was it. He pitched five games for the Yankees. Now, with the Red Sox, he pitched a lot more than that. I mean, a lot more than that. Uh, he made in his appearance with the Red Sox. So of the 391 games, 391 games, he pitched in 89 of them. So that means that in 302 of them, he played in the field in six years, which means he played in the field approximately 50 games a year, right? And then, of course, let me change that up a little bit for you. Of the 391 games he played, I do need to change it up. 95, 135. So he played in the field. See, he had 135 appearances on the mound for the Red Sox. 135. By the way, he had a 2.19 ERA, too. Um, so it's 135 games from 391 is what? 291, 286, 256 games, right? That's not right. So 256 games he played exclusively in the field for the Red Sox in six years. So that's only like, what, 40, 45 games a year outside of what he pitched. And he made, what, over 20 starts a year for the Red Sox. And as a pitcher, Ruth of the World Series was 3-0. and <laughs> Uh, three starts, two complete games. One of the complete games was 14 innings <laughs> against the Brooklyn Dodgers. Wow. And an 0.870 RA in postseason. But the difference is, is that you don't, when you hear them talk about Ruth versus Otani, Otani's doing this every fifth day. That's where it's phenomenal. And I think he's a must-watch. At least I think he is. I mean, I didn't watch him hit last. I mean, I actually saw him hit a little bit last night. Him versus Soto was epic last night. Um, now, now it was still disappointing he lost, but it was still a good show. And it's going to be very interesting to see him tonight. Well, Otani is 6'4", 210 pounds. You know that? Golly. So let's look at the Otani numbers to this point. Otani's in his fourth year in the majors. Now, he's had, he's had some injuries, but this year he's phenomenal. So he's now already hit 80 home runs in his short career. 
He's played 338 games. He's at 33 of the 80 this year. He's already driven 70 runs this year. His slugging percentage this year is 698. He has 210 total bases. All right. So now let's look at Shohei Otani, the pitcher. Of the four years he's been in the majors, he's pitched three. He has made now 25 starts in his career. He's got an 8-4 record career-wise. I know everybody, you know, I think people try to get you the impression right now he's a 20-game winner. Uh, no. <laughs> All right. He is 4-1 and one this year in 13 starts. So what have they played, 80 games so far? They have played 84 games. So he's played 71 games exclusively in the field and 13 games as a starting pitcher. He is 4-1 this year with a 3.49 ERA. He's only given up 46 hits in 67 innings. That's phenomenal. His problem is he walks too many guys. He's got 87 strikeouts, 35 walks. That's too many walks in uh, 67 innings of work. But he's averaging more than the strikeout in inning, which is really impressive. What we're seeing is phenomenal. He takes the ball every fifth day. So face of the sport, who cares? Yeah, he's great. And again, it's something we haven't really seen since the 19-teens, because, I mean, really, the time with the Yankees, you cannot include with Ruth. You can't. He only he only he only pitched five times with the Yankees. See, the show's educational today. I mean, you're you know you deal in the world of fluff. Pete Alonso wins the home run title. You, you call it epic. Um, I thought Altuve's home run to cap a six run ninth was epic. In your eyes, yes. <laughs> no, in anybody's eyes. Well, anybody's I mean, eyes, yeah, not in pinstripes, yeah. but yes. I mean, that's like when the money's on the table as opposed to I'm going to swing as hard as I can with non-humidored balls, <laughs> baseballs, and him into the upper deck. I mean, believe me, those baseballs never got near a humidor last night. They're like, hey, send out the juicy ones, let it fly. Make sure Trevor's story gets to the second round. All right. We'll wrap it up in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. That's it right there. That ties it. Now win it. 
He may have oh. just won it with three in a row. I don't think that's going to go. We have our first swing off of the 2021 T-Mobile Home Run Derby. Here he goes, and Shohei Otani needs one. We're going to have a little <laughs> swing off, three swings, Junior. Alan Soto just went three for three. Can't do better than that. Three swings. They've all I'm got this. I think everybody feels the tension in this ballpark. And that will do it. Juan Soto, three perfect swings, defeats Shohei Otani. Oh, yeah. I was on the edge of my seat. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> the Pirates selected two uh, players that have signed letters of intent for football. They have swayed one of them to come to Pittsburgh. No, it's not Lonnie White. Lonnie White has not made up his mind yet. But Bubba Chandler, who originally was going to play baseball at Georgia, but then was recruited by Davo Swindy to play football and baseball at Clemson, signed with Clemson. Well, Bubba Chandler was the first pick of the third round and has decided not to go to Clemson. He is going to go to the Pirates. Slot number $870,000. I thought that was more interesting than an exhibition hitting deal. Well, I'm glad you had fun with it. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors.